You are listening to Reach MD XM, the channel for medical professionals. Zits, warts, and moles. Oh my. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today is Dr. Jody Gans, dermatologist at Olansky Dermatology in Atlanta. Dr. Gans is a member of the American Academy of Dermatology and the Women's Dermatologic Society. Hello, Dr. Gans. Hi there. I'd like to start with just some bread and butter of general dermatology. Let's start with some warts. What's new with warts? Warts are probably the tried and true of what most dermatologists treat. What's new with it is we're getting a better understanding of what causes the wart, what kind of virus subtypes there are out there, and we're getting a better idea of how we can treat them. What's not new is we don't have one best way to treat warts. What I always tell my patients are warts are a virus, and unfortunately we can't kill most viruses in the world. What we try to do is stimulate the patient's own immune system and get that patient to fight off the wart. So there are lots of different ways to do that. We can do that with plain old liquid nitrogen like you had done when you were a little kid. We can do that with different immune modulators and immune stimulators like DNCB or squaric acid, DPCP. These are all chemicals that cause your body to have an almost allergic reaction to the wart to try to fight it. People are using lasers to treat warts. So there's lots of things out there. It kind of depends on what the patient's tolerance is, what the parents oftentimes, because these are oftentimes kids, what the parents can tolerate. You know, a lot of people nowadays would say a wart doesn't need to be treated. Most warts will go away on their own. Just let them do their thing. Most patients don't like that. Most parents don't like that. But you certainly need to balance what is worth it to the patient, both from a pain point of view and from a cosmetic point of view, what they want to tolerate. How about duct tape? Duct tape is great. The study on duct tape, which came out a couple years ago, was actually quite good. What they did in the study was they took kids and put duct tape on one wart and then did liquid nitrogen, the kind of standard, on the other wart. And they wanted to see which had a better reaction and which warts went away. The one thing they, a lot of people don't know about the study was when they placed the piece of duct tape on the wart, they left it on for six days in a row. So if you can imagine a little kid with a piece of tape on for six days in a row, that tape gets yucky. That tape gets irritated. The wart under there will get all red and really just inflamed. And we think that that's why the warts go away, because you're getting this immune response. So what you do if you're going to treat with duct tape is you put the duct tape on, you leave it on for six days in a row, you change the duct tape on day seven, and start the whole process again. If I remember correctly, the study went on for 12 to 16 weeks. So it's not a short course, but if you can stick with it, no pun intended, it will oftentimes be enough of an irritation to actually cause the body's response to take over and get rid of the wart. And it's painless and it's cheap. It seems a very cost-effective treatment to me. It's a very cost-effective treatment. It's a matter of convincing your patient to do it. (laughs) You know, oftentimes it can be hard. Patients come in and they want a quick fix. They want the doctor to freeze it, burn it, get it gone. If you tell them, hey, I want you to do this very innocuous, very cost-effective treatment at home for the next three to four months, even though it works, a lot of times people just can't stick with the program. But I recommend duct tape quite a bit. What's the CPT code for duct tape? I don't think we have a CPT code for duct tape. You'll code it as, as an ICD-9 for wart and 
send the patient on their way. It's a one-time visit. I have a six-year-old daughter who has a wart, and she's currently being treated for that. And she had it frozen, and then the dermatologist gave me a prescription for Aldera. Aldera is a very interesting medication. The generic of Aldera is amiquimod for people who don't know that by name. And it's a medication that stimulates an immune response. So as I was saying a moment ago, what we're trying to do is get your body to react. And Aldera was originally developed to treat genital warts because it stimulates an immune response. It causes a little bit of inflammation, a little bit of irritation, and you use it over weeks to months to help get rid of that wart. What we actually in dermatology use it for quite a bit nowadays is treating skin cancers. What they found is that same immune response can be harnessed to treat skin cancers. Aldera is currently approved to treat actinic keratoses, which are what we consider precancerous lesions, and also to treat superficial basal cell carcinomas. So I'm actually using Aldera much more often for my skin cancer patients than I am for my wart patients nowadays, but it works quite well on both of them, and there are also a number of off-label uses for Aldera. One of the things that's a little bit tricky when you're talking about immune stimulation is everyone's immune system is a little bit different. So some people, when using Aldera, will get a very, very brisk response, and other people will get a very low-grade response. And at this point, we're having a tough time predicting which patient will get which type of response. So we'll give people the treatment, and what I'll often do is see them back midway through therapy to get an idea of how much of a response they're getting and adjust the treatment if I need to from there. The Aldara was extremely costly, uh, which I did get because it was my daughter. It is a costly drug. Depending on where you get it, what I've found in my region, is anywhere from about 180 to $200 a box. So it's not cheap. I tell my patients this is liquid gold. But, you know, we're hoping that over time the cost will go down on these medications. Right now, it's the only one in its market. So it kind of has the market share of that. So it seems there's lots of treatment options for warts, and they all do the same thing, which is to stimulate your own immune system to fight the wart, be it duct tape or the most expensive chemical out there. Correct. The one thing I said, like like I said, we can't know is everyone responds a little bit differently. So I've had some people who... I put the most expensive stuff on them, and that doesn't work, and duct tape does, or vice versa. So what I always tell my patients before we start wart therapy is we're going to try one modality for a good three months, and we're going to exhaust that till the end, and we're not going to give up until we know that doesn't work for you. And then we'll try something else. But if you don't really give it a good try, you never know if it was just too short of a therapy to have its effect. You are listening to ReachMDXM, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell, and I'm with Dr. Jody Gans of Olansky Dermatology in Atlanta. Jody and I are talking about warts currently. Dr. Gans, when I was in medical school, we were using antihistamines to help remove warts. Can you comment on that? Yeah, the use of cimetidine specifically has been shown to help shift the immune response. We want to try to stimulate a Th1 response to fight the wart, and there has been some evidence to show that using antihistamines can shift you more to a Th1 response in terms of treatment. It's an interesting modality. I usually use it adjunctively, so I might use antihistamines in addition to something else that I'm doing topically, be it liquid nitrogen or an immune stimulator, et cetera. The studies on it are small. 
So it's hard to say that it definitely works or definitely doesn't work. We just don't have enough data at this point. But at least theoretically, it is an interesting treatment. How do you treat warts in someone who is immunocompromised who cannot really attack the wart themselves? Treating warts in the setting of HIV or other immunosuppression is extremely difficult. And what we really end up doing is oftentimes combining modalities, doing as many different things as we can to stimulate that response. And it always surprises me. There are some people who you think, no way are they going to respond, and they do quite nicely. But it can be quite difficult. And these are the patients that I see back often. I see them every three to four weeks to kind of chip away at the problem because these warts can get quite big. One of the things in dermatology that we talk about is, you know, do you even have to treat warts? Because a lot of times they go away on their own. But there are some times when a wart can actually be precarcinogenic. And we know in some of our transplant patients that the wart virus will predispose them to skin cancers. We've been able to find that some squamous cell carcinomas are actually derived from HPV. So in some immunosuppressed states, you really want to aggressively treat these warts because they do have a somewhat malignant potential. The other time that we see the wart actually go on to do something dangerous or precancerous is in the setting of HPV and cervical cancer. So what will be really interesting over the coming years will be to see how the HPV vaccine or Gardasil is making an effect on the HPV we're seeing in our patients. Is it only affecting the warts that we see in cervical cancer, or will it be affecting some of the other more common warts? And we just don't know yet. Continuing with warts, which is a fascinating topic, are venereal warts any different than common warts? They are in terms of the HPV subtype, but the treatment modalities can often be similar. So the human papillomavirus has upwards of 60 different subtypes at last count. So there are certain subtypes that hone into the skin of the genitalia and certain subtypes that go to the more common warts of the hands and feet. So they are technically different subtypes of warts. A lot of people want to know, can I transfer them? Only certain types will transfer to different types of skin. In terms of treatment, the skin is very different in those locations. So you're going to want to use a less caustic, less abrasive treatment to the genitalia than you might on a plantar's wart. So in that sense, they can be different. So no duct tape? No no duct tape down there. Now what about transmission of venereal warts to other parts of the body, let's say through engaging in oral sex? Does that occur? You certainly can get transmission to other mucosal sites like the mouth. It's a lot rarer to get transmission to the thicker-skinned areas of the, say, hands and feet. And again, the HPV in the venereal wart can lead to cervical cancer. Can it also lead to rectal cancer? Absolutely. A lot of patients, if I see that they have warts around the anus, I will ask them to see usually a GI specialist to make sure that those warts aren't tracking up the anal canal. There are things that we just can't know with the naked eye that sometimes our colleagues can do a better exam and see if there's something going on further up there. And so we'll often work in conjunction with our GI specialists in that area. Are there other agents that transmit the virus, such as toys or common household products that the virus can actually live on and uh, cause damage? Yeah, the, the HPV virus can live on fomites, meaning, you know, other common household things. Not for very long, though, 
But, you know, I always liken it to people. People say to me, are warts contagious? Do I have to worry about it? And you've got to remember, as a virus, it certainly is contagious. But it's contagious in the sense that, you know, a cold could be contagious. Meaning, if I'm in a room and I sneeze and you get my cold, well, you might get it, you might not. It depends on how your immune system responds to that cold virus. Similar with a wart. If you shake hands with someone who has a wart, it doesn't mean you're definitely going to get the wart. It depends on how well your immune system is at fighting that. So certainly it's a contagious entity. It can be spread person to person, but it just depends on what the receiving immune system is like. I'd like to thank Dr. Gans for talking to us about warts. It appears that they are still causing a significant problem in our world. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thanks for listening.